Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn over to the Old Testament book of Exodus. And we're going to read, beginning of chapter 1, the very first verse through the end of verse 7 for today. Exodus chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving your people and providing a perfect, flawless, enduring word. As we pick up this book of the Bible for an extended period, we are looking forward to it because it's your word, it's living, and you're speaking today in 2018. May our ears rejoice at hearing your word and open our eyes to see the greatness of our triune God. Amen. Well, today we begin a journey in the book of Exodus. It is a massive book, 40 chapters. And you say already, already you're nervous. You're going, oh my goodness, 40 chapters. How long is this going to take us? Is it going to be 40 Sundays or, you know, what's it going to be? Well, um, I thought about this this week. You know, Exodus does result in the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So uh, it's just saying, okay. Um, no, really, we, we, won't, we won't be there anywhere near that long. But today I just want to do one thing, just one simple thing, and that is deal with the question, why should I be interested in the book of Exodus? Why Exodus, and why should I be interested in it? Because, you know, I know you all. I know you're busy. We're all busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Some of you had kids in sports, and, you know, you, you've got demanding jobs. You've got parents that are ill, and you know, you're trying to care for them. have got a lot going on. I really, really do understand that. Uh, so do we really have time to devote ourselves, you know, to really get a hold of the Bible Open up to the book of Exodus. and Here's what I'm hoping you'll do, by the way, over the next few weeks. You just begin reading this with me, okay? You know, you go home this week and say, I'm going to take chapter 1. I'm going to chew on this for a while and then move on to chapter 2. And you begin to think, well, man, I don't know if I have enough time to devote to that. But, uh, uh, you know, I really want to encourage you to do this because I read something this week that um, I think kind of relates to this. I read an article where there's, there are literally millions of people who are not taking their medications either correctly or taking them at all. And the consequences are deadly. In other words, there's people who have, you know, heart medication, uh, uh, high blood pressure medication, those sorts of things, and uh, diabetes issues. And they're finding, they're finding through research that many people are either doing one of two things. They're either forgetting to take it. And I can relate to that now that I'm 62. I have a couple of little things I have to take, and I kind of for, I forget sometimes, you know. And so I understand how easy it is to forget, but we either forget it or some are starting to feel better and they toss it. 
They think, I'm feeling better. I don't need to take this anymore. And they throw it in the can. And so as I read that article, I thought how deadly serious this is. I thought about the fact that what about the medicine of God's word? You know, I think that's one way that we can look at the word of God. It's medicine for our soul. In fact, the Bible tells us about the Bible that it's profitable. It's profitable for you and I for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that you and I, men and women of God, will be competent and equipped for every good work. So if we're going to be competent and we're going to have the equipment we need to live out our faith and share our faith with others, we need the Word of God. We cannot afford to forget it or to say, I'm okay, I'm doing all right, don't really need it right now. So yes, we should be deeply interested in the book of Exodus. And, and for the entire scriptures for that matter. But we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus. And I want to give you a few reasons this morning, just a few, of why you and I should be interested in the book of Exodus. And the first one is this. Exodus was written for our sake. Exodus was written for our sake. I want you to think about that for just a few minutes. Now, yes, to be sure, the book of Exodus did have an original audience. Uh, when Moses wrote the book of Exodus, and that's who is believed to be the author, uh, it was written to the preceding, I should say proceeding, uh, generations that would follow the generation that we find in the book of Exodus. So yes, the book of Exodus had an original audience. We need to be aware of that. But according to the New Testament writers, the book of Exodus was written for our sake. In fact, we find this out in the book of Romans in chapter 15. Notice this. Paul said to the church at Rome, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So think about this. When the apostle Paul was speaking to these Christians in the first century, and he wanted to exhort them to persevere in the faith, what did he do? He reminded them of the events of the Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, on through the Old Testament. What was written aforetime. And, and he said, I want to encourage you. I want you to persevere. I want you to hang in there. And he said, you know, those things that were written aforetime were written to help you to hang on. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read this. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And what Paul is referring to here, there were there there some people that, that would not believe. Even though God had shown himself incredibly strong and powerful and present, they still refused to believe. And so these things were written down because God expects his people to take note of biblical history to warn every one of us against careless living. We get careless sometimes in the faith. We begin to stray and become wayward in our walk with Christ. And, and the, the, the things that were written aforetime were written to warn us. We cannot be careless in our faith commitment. So, the book of Exodus, written for us. Now, think about that for a moment. It's written for you. Uh, back in 1969, uh, Neil Diamond came out with a, a smash hit, Sweet Caroline. To this day, that song is still being played at ball fields all around the country. It's a, it's a massive hit. 
And everybody wondered in 1969, who, who's he writing about? Who's this for? Who's this sweet Caroline? And it wasn't until 2007 that Neil Diamond was giving an interview that he revealed for the first time that the song was written about and for Caroline Kennedy. He was looking at a copy of Life magazine in 1962, and she was four years old, and she was sitting on a horse along with her parents were standing nearby. It was on the front cover of Life magazine. He thought that was such a sweet picture, such a sweet picture. And so he wrote the song, Sweet Caroline. Now think about this. It wasn't until Caroline was 50 years old that she learned that song was about her. Friends, you, you don't have to wait any longer to know that God wrote this for you. God's word. God's word, God's writing, God's word written for you, for your encouragement, for your consolation, so that you'd persevere. This is written for you, and notice it says, for your sake, for your sake. When the Bible says for your sake, it means for your benefit. Think about it. When, when you, as, as, as a, maybe a, a husband or, or a wife of the one, maybe you, 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 uh, you fill out the papers for a life insurance policy. And you, you, you write down the, the name of the people that's going to be the beneficiary, you see. You, you, you're, you're caring for them. You're, you're, you know they may have needs. They're going to have needs in the future. And I want to make them my beneficiary. I, I want to make sure that they have what they need. That is what God is doing. He knows that as we live out our life of faith, we are going to have needs. We're going to have struggles. And he is writing this for our benefit, for our sake. And so... Isn't that beautiful? Exodus is for our sakes. But there's another reason I want you to consider this morning. Exodus will reveal the nature of true freedom. Man, oh man, are we, is our culture messed up about what freedom is? In our culture, uh, the idea now is freedom is just do whatever you want to do. No restraints. You can't tell me what to do. The government can't tell me what to do. The only way I can have true freedom is to be able to do what I want to do. But you know, I, I read someone the other day. Here's the way they put it. We get bored. You ever get bored? You think, man, I don't like to be bored. I want, to, I want freedom from my boredom, you know? And so you get all these gadgets and you get this stuff. And so we get, freedom from bo- we get freedom from boredom, but we fall into the slavery of distraction. We get all this stuff to entertain us, and then we get distracted from the things that are most important. And you know that, don't you? You struggle with that. You know exactly. Then we pursue liberty from prohibitions. Don't do this. Don't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. We don't like that. And so we break out of the prohibitions. We're free now. But then we become enslaved by addictions. Some of you have family members. You know. They, they broke out of the boundaries of prohibitions. And now they're slaves to addictions. Then we pursue liberty from the constraints upon our nature only to fall into bondage to unrestrained passions. And what we're going to see here in the book of Exodus is when the Israelites are freed from serving Pharaoh, then they become enslaved to a golden calf. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, they, 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 they have been in bondage. They're crying out to God, God, help us, deliver us. And God comes with a mighty saving hand and, and rescues them and brings them to himself and blesses them and benefits them. And what do they do? We'll find out later in the Exodus they get free from Pharaoh only to turn around and start serving 
an idol of a golden calf. We're going to learn from the book of Exodus that true freedom, listen, true freedom is freedom from bound up with freedom to. In other words, true freedom is freedom from serving Pharaoh and the idols of this world in order to be free to serve the living God. And if you're hearing me at all, if you're listening at all, you, right then you go, wait a minute though, that, I'm still serving something. I'm still serving something. You're right. We're going to always be serving something. But notice, these two masters that we're going to be reading about in the book of Exodus could not be more different. Pharaoh and the living God. For example, Pharaoh enslaves and subjects the Israelites to harsh servitude. We're going to read about that in chapter 1. Things get really tough for God's people. And so Pharaoh enslaves, harsh treatment. But on the other hand, what does God do? God invites his people to come and worship him, submit to his rule that they might become his treasured possession. We're going to learn more about that in the book of Exodus in chapter 19. When you become God's treasured possession. That is amazing to think that the most important being in the universe wants you to be his treasure. Notice the difference. Pharaoh didn't want them to be his treasure. He wanted to be a slave. God said, come and serve me and you'll be my treasured possession. Pharaoh wanted them to build storehouses for him. But God said, no, I want you to come and I want you to build a temple for me so that I can dwell in it and dwell with my people. Friends, let me tell you something. There's no comparison. There's no comparison to serving the beauty of the living God compared to the idols of this world. Can't be, can't be compared. One other thing. Exodus is about God and the making of his name. We're going to read some interesting characters in the book of Exodus. In fact, you know, earlier we had a call to worship and Nehemiah was reflecting back upon God's great works in the, in, in, in the prior times. And he, he said, you know, the, the Exodus events, everything that happened in the Exodus was about God making a name for himself. And uh, what does that mean? What does it mean for somebody to make a name for themselves? Well, it means one, to, to, to have a reputation, to be well-known. The things that God did in the book of Exodus made a name for himself that not only for that time, but that would last forever. And in verse 6, I want you to see this. In verse 6 of our text, we read about some really reputable people, some important people, Joseph for one. Joseph is a fantastic figure in the Bible. And then Jacob, back in verse 1, uh, Jacob, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these are, these are important people, but I want you to notice something. In verse 6, it said, Then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all that generation. Just mortal human beings. As great as they were, as important as, and, and, and a reputation that they had, they lived and they died. But then... We're going to read in the book of Exodus about Moses, his brother Aaron, significant figures, important figures, but we're also going to see that they die too. See, that's why that when we read the book of Exodus, we need to keep our eyes upon God. There's a lot of interesting figures, a lot of interesting people we'll read about, but we need to keep our eyes on God because what? God was making a name for himself. And notice... How God does this. Look at verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was 
filled with them. Does that, does that cause any antennas to go up? That, that phrase, they were fruitful and increased greatly. Does that, does that remind you of anything? It should. Because back in the book of Genesis, and I want you to see this, book of Genesis chapter 1, here's what God said. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. Notice, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Hmm. That's what we see here in Exodus now. But notice, God created humanity in his image. Now, this is interesting. In, in the ancient East, when a ruler wanted to make his presence known throughout his empire, he could not be in every place at the same time. And so he would set up images. Images of the ruler would be set up throughout the kingdom uh, in order that the ruler's presence would be known among the people. And so what we're reading in Genesis and in Exodus is human beings are image bearers. You and I bear the image of the living God. In other words, you and I, you and I were created to spread the glory of God and to make his name known. If you're struggling at all with why you're alive, that you, if you, do I have any purpose, you know, do I have any meaning in life? Friend, you were created in the image of God to spread his glory and to make his name known throughout the world. What a thrill. Yeah. But let me ask you something. How is humanity doing with this? Humanity's created in the image of God. We're to spread his glory, make his name known. How are we doing with that, suppose? Not all that well, are we? And you know, there's a reason. Because the Bible teaches us that sin, sin has marred the image of God within humanity and has marred it to such a degree that, that we fail to live out our purpose. Uh, let me get your attention just for a moment. This chair. Uh, this chair is not perfect. It's got some marks on it. It's been here for about nine years now. It has some marks on it. Uh, the, the, the arms on it are loose. It is not perfect, not even close, but it is perfect. Is that a contradiction? No. It, it is not perfect in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, it, that it doesn't have any flaws. But it is perfect in that it fulfills the purpose for which it was made, right? This chair was made for someone to sit in it. Okay? This chair is perfect. Or the, 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 the Greek word is teleos, perfect. It, it's fulfilling the purpose for which it is made. It, it is not, it's not perfect in every way. There's, there's scratches on it, flaws, but it's perfect in the sense that it is fulfilling the purpose for which it is made. And what the Bible teaches is that you and I were made to reflect the image of a glorious God and to bear his name and to make his name known. And the truth is that sin has marred the image of God within us. But the book of Exodus teaches that God is going to fix this. Listen, the Republicans are not going to fix it. The Democrats are not going to fix it. There's no political party going to fix this. God is going to fix this. And that's what the 
book of Exodus begins to shine and show forth. But there's another thing the book of Exodus is going to teach us. It answers how a holy God can dwell among a holy people. Man, we take that so for granted, don't we? We do. We, we, we read about the holiness and perfection of God in the Bible. We, we'll sing songs about it. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. We sing about it. I don't know if we really grasp a holy God dwelling among unholy people. A perfect God dwelling among imperfect people. Is that even possible? God bears his heart in the book of Exodus. I'll point you to one verse in Exodus chapter 29, verse 45. God said, I will dwell, listen, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Now you go, what is the big deal about that? Why would we get all ratcheted up about that? I'll tell you why. It's because God in his grace is reversing the tragic consequences of Adam and Eve's betrayal in the garden. See, up until this time, listen, up until this time, you remember in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And the result, the consequences were they were cast out of God's presence. They were dwelling with God. But they rebelled against God and they were cast out of the garden. And what we find in the book of Exodus, God chooses to live in close proximity to people in a way that no one has experienced since Adam and Eve's rebellion. Friends, this is a game changer. Exodus is a game changer. It's God on the move. It's God bearing his heart saying, I want to dwell with my people. And he does. We'll find in the book of Exodus that God's presence will dwell in a tabernacle. And he will be represented by the Ark of the Covenant. And he'll be in this designation of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And you remember, there's a curtain, that's this big, thick curtain that separates outside sinful man, unholy man, from a holy God. And this serves, this curtain serves as a protective barrier between God and sinful humanity. You just can't run in and run in and God say, hey, what's up? What's up, God? Can't do any of that. In fact, only the high priest go in once a year, and he better be careful as he brings in sacrifice for the sins of an unholy people. So look, in the book of Exodus, it's a game changer, but Perfect communion with God will not be achieved in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus does not end with God's plan for humanity being fulfilled. We won't see that. But the events recorded in the book of Exodus do model how the broken relationship between God and humanity will be restored. And it will be restored, friend. We see it in Revelation chapter 21. just want you to see these words. Again, the heart of God being laid bare and fulfilled Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Listen to the loud voice from the throne saying what? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Friends, when it's all wrapped up, when it's all wrapped up. It's God dwelling with his people and his people dwelling with him. That's the end game. And it's going to happen. 
The story of Exodus indicates that a greater Exodus is in the future. And that brings us to one final reason that we should consider the book of Exodus is because Exodus prepares us for a perfect redeemer and a greater Exodus. Uh, Here in a couple of weeks when we get moving here, we're going to run into a man named Moses. Most of you, if you've been around the church very long, you know about Moses, but maybe, maybe, maybe you don't know the full story. You see, Moses was born as an Israelite, but he was rescued and became the child of the Pharaoh's daughter, which meant that he was raised as a prince in the Egyptian palace. I mean, Moses had everything at his disposal, living the good life in the Egyptian palace, the Egyptian culture. But we're going to see this, and it's amazing when we see it. We're going to see Moses leave all of this. We're going to see Moses walk away from all of it in order to identify with his people and serve as their redeemer. Yeah, Moses was a great guy. Oh, he had his flaws. Moses was a great man. But brothers and sisters, for the even greater exodus, we will need more than a great man. We need the God-man. We need the man who was fully God and fully human. We need... For the greater Exodus, we need the man that Moses was only pointing to. Oh, when we read the book of Exodus, we're going to see Moses doing some great things for the people of God. But Moses was pointing to someone else. He was pointing to another who was going to leave behind the perfection and the beauties of heaven. He was going to walk away from all the splendor and the fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was going to walk away and... This one who was fully God would now take on human flesh in John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, he, he tabernacled amongst us. Same word. Same concept. God comes down in the person of Jesus Christ. Come, why? Because to show us the heart of God. To come and dwell amongst us. Jesus was and would reflect perfectly The image of God. We we talked about that a moment ago, right? The image of God. And that's why I want you to see this verse in Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at this and we'll we'll kind of wrap up. There we go. And, And notice this. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, you read that verse and you may go, what in the world does that have to do with what we're looking at? That verse tells us this. Jesus, Jesus has come down to dwell among us. And for those, for those who believe in him, for, for those, listen, for those who will say, Jesus is mine, for those who are in Jesus, he gives us his spirit and he begins to do a work of renewal. Remember, the image of God due to sin is marred within us. But what does Jesus come to do? He comes to renew in knowledge after the image of its creator. Jesus comes to restore the image of God in the people of God so that, listen, so that we will be perfect. Jesus said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. He did not mean moral and ethical perfection. What he was saying was again, be telios. Be the purpose for which 
God has created you. You are his image bearer. You live to reflect the glory of God and to make his known name known throughout the world. And Jesus comes to live and work in his people to renew that marred image that we might be perfected by the perfect one. Jesus comes and hangs on a cross and will shed his blood so that you and I will be redeemed, rescued, Exodus words, from the power and the slavery of sin. And when he dies, you remember when he cried out, it is finished, what happened? Remember that curtain? It was rent from top to bottom to say to the world, a new and beautiful way has been made through the blood of Jesus Christ into the presence of God. Why? Because God wants to dwell with his people. But how can he when we're unholy and sinful? The only way that that can happen is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. A way has been made for you and I into the presence of the living God, the most important being in the universe. And he's still saying today, he's still saying today like through FCA and people like Tyler and you and I saying today, hey, as you go, as you go into the world, make disciples. Teach them to observe all the things. Jesus said, teach them to observe all the things that I've taught. And then he said, baptizing them in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what that's saying, friends? No matter how messed up we have been, I was in a, an event the other night and uh, ran into some people I used to go to high school with. And they were all like, oh, man, when we heard you as a preacher, like, what in the world? Because, see, they remember the old me. <laughs> they remember the old me. And no matter, no matter how messed up and broken and sinful I was, Jesus said, come and follow me, man. Be baptized in my name. Notice, I'm going to give you my name. That name that is above all other names. That name with the greatest reputation in all the world. He was saying, man, come on and be in my family. He's saying to you, you, you and you and you, come, come, be part of my family. Bear my name. Bear the family name. So the book of Exodus, yeah, it holds great benefit for us. Won't you be reading it? Won't you do that? Won't you do that? Won't you be reading that and... Each Sunday when we gather over the next few weeks, we're going to be opening up this book, and it's going to benefit us. God's going to help us in our walk of faith. And so I say that to all my Christian friends, but listen, I love what Tyler said this morning. He said it in both services. You see, he was, I know, I know what you're talking about, brother, when you talk about kind of living off the fumes of your mom and dad's faith. I know exactly what you're talking about because I did the same thing. But there comes a time when we have to make it our own. And so let me ask you, are you... Are you a follower of Jesus? Really? Really? Now, I'm serious now. I just want to take a couple of minutes here and ask you. Are you seriously a follower of Jesus? I love what your friend said, you know. If I'm, if, you know, if one of the things that identifies a Christian is you live in the fear of God. Are you one of his followers? Have you been baptized as one of his followers? Have you identified with Jesus in such a way that you bear the family name?
Or let's put it this way. Can you legitimately sing, Jesus is mine? No, we don't, we don't sing songs like, religion is mine. Church attendance is mine. No, we don't sing that, do we? We sing Jesus is mine. Because his is the name by which only through him we can be saved. It's the name that heaven has given. Is Jesus really yours? I plead with you this morning. May Jesus truly be yours. May you know him in a saving way. And for those of you who do, go this week. Be his image bearer and make his name known everywhere you go.